Hey there, and welcome to Two Geeks Talk Movies. It's been a little while, not planned, due to Ill- illnesses. No, not COVID. I had a jippy tummy, and Joe had some family issues. But we're back, and we're bad in our bitches. <laughs> <laughs> like I says, uh, I have uh, Joe back with us, so he- say hello to the geeklings then, Joe. <laughs> hello. <laughs> And tonight we're covering Hitchcock's classic cycle from 1960 for his 60th anniversary. So is this your favourite Hitchcock movie? No. No, so uh, what is then? Um. Oh God, now you're asking my favourite one. I think I prefer the bud to this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me it's either this or the birds, but... Most of Hitchcock's stuff is actually quite good. Some of it is dire, mind you, but some of it is, is quite excellent. But I would say this is up there, you know? Yeah, the, there's no there's no actual bad Hitchcock movie. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's some I return to watching more than others. But, mm-hmm. no, it had been a long time since I watched it before today. Okay, okay. So how many times have you actually saw this in your lifetime then? <laughs> Ooh, I think I can just about count on both hands and that's it. God, I've seen this many, many, many times, and I saw this with a live orchestra playing the the, the music. What, what they've done is they put up a big projection screen and cut the music, and the live the orchestra played the live live music, which was a, an experience. That was for its fiftieth anniversary, wow. and that was fucking awesome, by the way. So yeah, yeah, that was an experience and a half. I mean. Hmm. Um, I remember sitting in college back in 2000, this is going to go like a complete tangent run with me here, uh, discussing movies, and I brought this one up, and uh, it was instantly shot down because they thought it was the 1998 remake, which I fucking nearly gubbed everybody for saying that, how <laughs> dare you say that, you know, um, because they thought that thing was a piece of shit, I mean, have you seen the remake? Yeah, it's a piece of shit. It's a shot of a shot piece of shit, yeah. Oh yeah. my god, yeah. I mean, what was the hell were they thinking with that fucking movie? Jesus, jinkies. I mean, so bad. Oh, let's just forget it ever. It's a time I won't have nightmare. Mm, indeed, indeed. So let's just check us into the base material and, and avoid the showers. Yeah. <laughs> with its $800,000 budget, this thing pulled in $50 million. Well done. So in today's money, that's a $7 million budget that pulled in $437 million. Christ wow. almighty. So Hitchcock waived his director's fee of $250,000 in lieu of a cut of the movie's profits. And since Paramount had no faith in the movie, they agreed. And he walked away with a huge chunk of cash. Well, that is smart business then. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, Paramount had no faith in the book, but... Uh, based on a book rather because the book was written by Robert Block who based his his book on the Ed Gein story and Paramount's like nope nobody wants to know about serial killers how wrong were they (laughs) (laughs) so Hitchcock went okay then I'll buy the rights to the book I'll make it with my own TV production company and I'll shoot it in black and white and I'll pay for it myself so fuck you Paramount (laughs) (laughs) and Paramount went fine do it there we go and he took away a chunk of Change, change basically, you know. So, what a smart man! Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, Hitchcock didn't want to do a sequel, which is why when he died, Hollywood set the wheels in motion and shut out cycle two, cycle three, cycle four, and that terrible uh TV 
movie thing that kind of failed. And then, of course, we had the remake and that shit modern Bates Motel, which I can't fucking stand. Have you ever seen that thing, no? No, because it looks bloody awful. Yeah, I watched one, one and a half episodes and gave up. It was just fucking dire. None of the actresses had anything. None of the actors had nothing at all. The, the person that was playing Norman Bates had none of it. I'm going, this is fucking pathetic. And I gave up after like two, two, two three episodes. You know, so, or an episode and a half even. Anyway, back to this one. The cast. Anthony Perkins, Janet Lee, Vera Miles, John Gavin, Martin Balsam, and Hitchcock. Directed by Alfred Hitchcock. And the plot. A secretary sees a chance to escape her life by stealing $40,000 from her boss and a rich oil tycoon. She does this in uh, the attempt to start a new life with her boyfriend, who is himself trapped in debt in California. On the way there, one dark and stormy night, she checks into a roadside motel, the Bates Motel, where she meets the shy, nerdy owner, Norman. The two connect, and she realises she's made a huge mistake. Later, she takes a shower, but Mother kills her. Days later, her sister and her boyfriend look for her, finding Norman with a strange old woman watching from the house. They investigate, finding Mother killed her sister. Also, Mother Dearest is indeed Norman in drag. So how's that for a plot summary? <laughs> Very clever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right, one thing I want to talk about straight off the bat here is, is this movie transphobic? Hmm? Um, sorry, I'm trying to think of a, a, a... I can't decide. I don't think it is because it's not... It doesn't say anything derogatory about the trans film. We don't even find out if Norman's transgendered or transsexual or just not right upstairs. Because mm, mm. I saw a few months ago on Twitter that the trans community want this banned due to showing cross-dressing in a bad light, which is utter nonsense, frankly. To me, this is not about transgenderism or a cross-dressing. It's schizophrenic. Yeah. He dresses his mother not as a sexual frill, but as another personality. Mm. It's got fuck all to do with the trans community, you know, so... Yeah. I don't think it gets referenic. I think it's psychosis he's developed, he's got. Mm, possibly, possibly. Yeah. But, yeah, it is, it's just mental health, un, uh, unchecked and untreated mental health and what it leads, what it could. Mm. It not always does. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know back in the 60s, it got a bit of slack from the mental health authorities. And in the 80s, it got a lot of slack from the gay community. Again, saying, like, drag queens, showing drag queens in a bagged light. But I'm thinking, this is not about drag. No. He's doing this as a persona, a separate persona, i.e. his mother. It's nothing to do with the whole dressing up as a woman sort of thing. So, yeah, I may get shit yeah, for saying that, but... No, but you're completely right. It's like if you it's almost like someone with a split personality, only when his other personality, i.e. his mother, takes control, he dresses like her. So it's almost in his brain, it's like the outside uh, mirroring the inside of his brain, where his mother's in control. Okay, okay. So technically, as I'm saying, it's more schizophrenic mm. than trans. So, hmm. But now I've, I've pissed off a lot of people. Uh, let's talk about the music, the creepy-ass Bernard Herrmann score, which Hitchcock claimed was like taking the guts of the viewers and playing like a fiddle. He definitely did that. I, 
find the music in this is creepy as all hell. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, notorious stuff. Um, yeah. Is Hitchcock called the? What was it playing the audience like a fiddle? But yeah. But yeah, yeah, the the music is very unsettling in places and it's very creepy in places. And after watching this film today, I've discovered, although that shower scene still kind of makes me sit back and go, oh my God, but it's actually the music in that scene that I find the more gives you that feeling of unsettledness. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't say scary because none of it is scary, but it's... Um, more the music, it makes you feel that unsettled way when you hear it, rather than the acting and what you're seeing. Yeah, indeed, yeah, yeah. Although what annoys me is this theme is um, homaged by the reanimator. But it ripped it off and added a one extra bar for crying out loud. I mean, hmm. Mm. Uh, but I know, is this the ultimate bait and switch movie? After all, we spend the first 45 to 50 minutes with Janet Lee over to be killed off. So is this the ultimate bait and switch movie? I mean, this thing has been copied to the heavens with movies such as Scream. Mm. You know, where you kill off the main star or one of the main stars right off the bat sort of thing. So is this the start of this whole bait and switch stuff? It must be because it was out in the 60s, so... Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Talk about the shower scene, which was shot over seven days and the water was barely heated. Oh, my. Janet Lee's stunt double was a Vegas stripper, only wearing small pieces of fabric over her boobs. Uh, Hitchcock had to fight to get this in, as the MPA thought they saw a boob, and they hated the fact that he dared sh- uh, show a flushing toilet for crying oh, out loud. Oh, I mean, this is how bad the MPA was in the early 60s, for crying uh, out loud. Yeah, anything that resembled a boob. I, I assume you, I promise you that's a uh... A shoulder? No, it's not. Take it out. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, apparently there is actually a nipple shot in this. Um, but it's not Janet Lee's, it's the stunt double. Ah. Um, so there we have that one. I didn't um, even notice that. It's when she collapses after being stabbed to death and she grabs a shower curtain and did it and she collapses. Her nipple's shown very briefly there, so it's like get on. In a completely non-pervy way, I must look back and look for that. <laughs> uh, since we're talking about Janet Lee, let's talk about her character, Marion Crane, who in the book... But have you read the book, by the way? Uh, no, that he's one of the few Hitchcock books I've never actually read. I do okay. own it, I've just never got around to reading it. Okay, okay. Well, in the book, she's called Mary Crane, but it was changed to Marion for our reasons. And I love the fact that at this movie, she's wearing a white bra set. Well, later on, she's wearing black... Showing yeah. she turned bad. However, during the shiver 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 scene, she's in white again, showing she's regretted her stealing the money and the shower's gonna cleanse her of her sins. It's just too bad um, a mother slices her up in the shower, sort of thing. Because if you notice that her outfit changes also yeah, she's depend, depending on what almost frame of mind she's in, in a way. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yes, I mean, her handbag goes from a white handbag to a black handbag, and her dress goes from white to sort of dark brown, sort of thing. So it's like, okay then, so very subtle hints there by Hitchcock to show she's evil, tainted, you know? Yeah. And now let's talk about her boyfriend, Sam Loomis, played by John Gavin, who Hitchcock hated. He called him a wooden Ken doll, whatever that was. Ooh, what an insult. 
Mm, indeed. Indeed. And according to a documentary I watched on Tab Hunter, he claimed he was gay and he had an affair with Anthony Perkins. In fact, he stated that Gavin hated kissing Janet Lee because she was, quote, too covered for him and he almost threw up on set. <laughs> so take that with what you can because he has two children. So... Mm. Mm. I thought it would have been unknown in the city for gay men to marry women and produce children. It's still illegal. Yes, yes. Also, um, Anthony Perkins has two daughters also, and he was notoriously gay, so there we have that one. Again, illegal, isn't it? Mm, mm, True, true. I'm just thankful it's not illegal anymore, because it's tattooed on my arm and I'd be strung up. Mm, Indeed, yeah, yeah, thank God it's not not legal now again. Uh, What I can tell you about him is he was in the US Navy, and in 1981-89, he was the US ambassador to Mexico. So there we have that one. I never knew that. Neither yeah, I told Adam research on us. Thing. Uh, he was also supposed to play James Bond in 1970 after George Lazenby's pathetic attempt at being the new Bond in Our Magic Secret Service. But he was replaced when Connery says, I'll come back to do Diamonds Are Forever. And he was actually paid to play Bond. <laughs> so there we have that one. I should also say, this is where Carpenter got the name Dr. Loomis from in Halloween. Indeed, Psycho is the reason why Jamie Lee was in Halloween, because there was a connection there. Hence, Janet Lee's, Jamie Lee's mother. So that's why she was hired for that one. So let's go into the movie itself then. After her lunch, tete tete Marion uh, returns to her work, and here she sees her golden chance to escape as a rich oil tycoon, Tom Cassidy, played by Frank Albertson. I love the fact that when Marion is driving to California, she hears what uh, she thinks he says about her. Once they find out she stole the money, i.e. he will take out of her soft white flesh. What the fuck? I mean, Jesus Christ. Anyway, he hands over $40,000 in cash, boasting about how he bought his little girl's happiness. Also, he never pays taxes. What a complete arsehole this guy is. He's a slimy... Texan, I mean, Texan oil bar sort of thing. Yeah, it's it just stereotypical of the creepy, creep, creepy ass older man. Mm, indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, $40,000 in today's money is $350,000. Wow. So there we have that. Also, in the scene, we see Caroline, played by Pat Hitchcock, who is Alfred's, Alfred's daughter. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. There's a little connection there for you. I love the fact she offers Marion a tranquilizer for a headache. What the fuck? <laughs> would that work? I'm no doctor, but I don't suppose it would. Mm, mm, indeed. Yeah, I thought myself I'm going to get a volume or tranquilizer rather for a headache. Would that work? Mm. I um, it would make you feel slightly high, so you would forget it, but Possibly. Possibly. I love the fact her boss uh, Mr. Lowry, played by Vaughn Taylor, doesn't want to cash anybody near the office and tells Marion to take it to the bank and then she'll go home with a headache. Could you imagine going to work? I've got a headache, can I go home? <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, you can't. If only that would work now, eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all I like about this movie. It's so quaint. You know, she gets sent home with a headache. It's like, oh my God. Uh, oh my God. Anyway, so Marion heads home to pack and she's in a black... Brasset, 
plush her handbag is now black. So her deed is now done. Her uh, fate is now sealed. Because um, I said earlier she's wearing a white bra set. She's now wearing black. Yep, so at home of like... See, the first time you watch a movie, you think it's to show the passage of time, but like the point out, it's not. It's to show the criminal intent within our mind. Mm-hmm. You know, the mm-hmm. stealing the cash and doing the runner. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's a, it's a very subtle... Not a lot of people pick, picked up on that. I, mean, I didn't pick up to myself until about the sixth or so time watching it. I mean, we here, she changed her bra. What the hell? So she goes from pure white to dark and her outfit changes from white to sort of light grey sort of colour. I'm going, what's happening here? You know, so... Yeah, it's almost... Uh, it's, yeah, it's subtle, but again, unless you watch it more than once, you're not going to spot it, right? I'll be, yes. or, you're, or you're not going to spot the actual yeah. meaning behind it right away. Mm-hmm, 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 yeah, yeah. I suppose that's... Uh, I can't fucking speak tonight. The genius of Hitchcock. You know, that his rewatchability. So anyway, so she heads out of town and she hears what people will say about her when they find out she stole the money. By the way, from Phoenix to California is 590 miles. That's a nine-hour drive. Why does that take her all day and all fucking night to drive that? You know, actually two days. You know, it's like... It's yeah, nine hours, love. You think the road would be different from now till then? So a nine-hour drive now could have taken a day and a half in the city. Mm, that's true. I suppose that's very true. I mean, uh, yeah, I suppose that's true. She does the back roads. It's no, there's yeah, no she, water. Yeah, she doesn't want anyone to see her. Can I just say, though, that whole scene with her driving like that and we we hear almost the outcome without seeing that, I, I think that's genius. I think that, I think that was one of the first times we'd ever seen an effect like that in a movie mm. up mm. until the point when this movie was released and it, you know because even now with modern movies you very rarely see the outcome of an event like that like if this was written now they, we would not hear that that almost explanation of what happened when they opened on Monday morning and she had vanished with the cash. Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's very true, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very, I have the thought of that. We'd be sitting here going, well, what happened? What did the boss say? Like, what did they do? And that's like, we find it all out without seeing it. I like that effect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose it's easier to, to do a voice over it is to actually film the, the stuff because, like I said, this was a very tight budget, so... Yeah, and it'd be so, cheaper too. Yes, a, a clever way of actually doing that. But one thing that annoys me, she drives, uh, as I say, 590 miles to, to California. Now, surely she'd be arrested in California and sent back to Phoenix to sit trial for theft. So what was the point of that? Plus $40,000 is not that much to start a whole new life with on the run. No. You know, you're now a felon sort of thing. So, mm. Yeah, mm. yeah the... Even with the even now you couldn't even now with what you said that would the exchange rate and things like that would make that an hour money. You couldn't mm. run away and start a new life with that. No, no, exactly. Um how much was that again? It was uh da 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 three hundred and fifty thousand yeah. dollars. I don't know. I mean, even in pounds that's just under two hundred thousand pounds. You could yes. you couldn't run away and start that and no. start your life somewhere else. No, I mean, that's like uh, stealing the money in Glasgow and driving all the way down to London, say, and not expecting the London cops to arrest you and send you back up to Glasgow to be charged for, for stealing the cash, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's like, 
uh, you didn't think this one through, love, did you? I mean, you just saw the money and ran with it sort of thing. I mean, she is dealing it to help her um, her boyfriend out, because don't forget, he, he said at the start, the only reason he can't marry her is he's paying alimony to his ex-wife. Mm-hmm. So she's kind of done it in a way. I I think she's done it to give to him to pay off the alimony so they can be together. And in the 60s, I would imagine, I'm no expert, but I'd imagine it was a lot more easier in the 60s just to arrive and see a different country. Like if they mm. went to Canada, let's say she lived in the she got to give him that money and they got to be together and went to Canada. Like she could have changed her name to anything without any very little paperwork. Mm, and true. then they could have lived happily. You know, Ever after. Happy, yeah. 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 yeah well, that's, that's, that's very true, I suppose. Although she would be constantly looking over her shoulders. So unless she I, goes to a country where they don't extradite to America, then it's a bit iffy bit there, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, she don't have her own personal pie or not paranoia to deal with which after mm. you know after about a day and a half on the road just getting to a second imagine living the rest of her life like that yeah that's a good point actually but like i said i think this is more of a crime of passion and a crime of of uh, opportunity not of uh, actually thinking it through sort of things so yeah well, yeah, yeah completely evident her only motive for doing it is because she in love with that man and he tell her politely to start well i can't marry you i can't afford to keep you mm. Mm. I love oh. the fact he says we'll have a, a, a nice dinner and a nice relationship, but you'll send her, your sister to the movies and we'll put your mother's picture to the wall. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, Jesus, criminal <laughs> I mean. Yeah, so I guess so back to this movie. Um, next morning, she's pulled over by a roadside cop. Again, it's a nine-hour trip. Why does she stop? Although in seeing that, like I said, it's the back roads and, and the, the motorways and highways weren't built yet. So, yeah. I suppose... Plus, she was falling asleep, so she says herself. Um, <clears throat> we see her falling asleep, and then she says the next morning she fell asleep, so she pulled over, but she didn't mean to sleep that long. Okay, then. Okay, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Anyway, she's put over by a, a highway cop, and he questions her as to why she stopped. As so she tells him she was tired, da 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 da, and you know, she didn't expect to sleep all night, sort of thing. He then follows her all afternoon. Does this cop not have any other job to do? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, that's a bit. I mean, we can, you can get watching it that yeah, she's definitely acting like there's something wrong. Mm. But to follow her all afternoon, a bit, you know, like you say, you not get something else to do, something yeah. better. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, bank being robbed somewhere they can turn up and sort out. It's another cat stuck in a tree somewhere, <laughs> I mean, for crying well. out loud. So anyway, so spooked, Marion ditches her car for the famous cycle car, a 1957 Ford sedan in baby blue with white um, trimmings. The same car she drives in Halloween H2O, by the way. Ah, okay. That'd be a bummer to keep cleaning in, in the winter. When it oh, gotcha. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So she pays $700 for this car uh, plus her old car. So that's around $6,000 she pays for this fucking thing. It's like, Jesus Christ. Wow. Our old so she... car can't have been worth much. Mm, exactly, yeah, that all comes from a piece of shit. So she sells her car to California Charlie. I love that name, California Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like something else, doesn't it? Mm, mm. <laughs> she drives off to find her boyfriend's hardware store a few towns over, yet she gets lost and ends up in another 
almost out character because the rain's so heavy she, she ends up at the Bates Motel. What the fuck? I mean, can't you not drive like two or three towns over sort of thing? It's like, what? Yeah, can't, can't you not just think to yourself, right, I just need to drive in a straight line for the equivalent of, I don't know, an hour and a half? Mm. You or know? even better, how about you call him? You know, I mean, for crying out loud. Yeah, call him, I'm, I'm you know, I'm on, I'm on route to you, do you want to meet me halfway? Yeah, precisely. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, for crying out loud. Like I said, two batches lost in the rain and ends up at the Bates Motel. And note, this little house here, the Bates House, is based off a painting called House by the Railroad by Edward Hooper. Part of a famous painting. Never heard of it myself, but there we have that one. Oh, I have. Is that? Yeah, um, it's not, it's not the one with the, well, it's not the one that you know, the horror movie, the one that, um, it's not the one that, it's the, that have parody of to the start, in the start of Rocky Horror, the other, it's the other picture I'm thinking of, okay. but I have heard of it. Correct, okay. So this house only has three sides, it was never a completed house. No, we built in the back lot of Universal. Yes, that yes. And the, the, the mansion. Yes, yeah, the, the house itself, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, like I say, the house was later used in The Monsters and Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. So there we have that. Uh, it was, I was just saying it was built on the back lot of Universal Studio and was there for years until it was torn down and rebuilt for Cycle 2 and then again rebuilt for Cycle 3 and Cycle 4. So there we have that one. Yeah, I thought they'd have stopped when they realised Cycle 2 was crap, but mm. you know. Yeah, well, no, that's true, that's true. You would have thought, how about just build an actual fucking house? I mean, how else is build a house? I mean... Yeah, it would have been so much cheaper. Yes, it's part of the bloody right of the universal backlot. What the hell that is right? For crying out loud, it would be fucking cheap to build a bloody house. Yeah. Anyway, so now at the hotel, she meets shy, reclusive owner, Norman Bates, played by Anthony Perkins, in his most famous role, which he hated because he was typecasted for years until he finally ran with it. And he appeared in all the four movies until his death in 1993, I think it was, 1993. By the way, he died of AIDS, apparently. Oh. So, um, or like flu-like symptoms known as AIDS, it's like for mm. crying out loud, as they spun it in the 90s. Uh, in the book, Roman Bass is a short, fat, ugly man with a high-pitched woman-like voice. Hitchcock changed it to a tall, handsome, movie movie star good looks of Perkins because it would seem more charming and more attractive to the, the opposite sex sort of thing. Alright, okay. So, there we have that one. As I said, so the two of them have a sort of tit-a-tete sort of thing, and he flirts with Marion. Uh, they even have a little bit of dinner of milking sandwich. Who the hell has milking sandwich for dinner? <laughs> no, I mean I've seen me not be hungry and have a sandwich for my dinner, but I can't, I can't drink the milk on it. So that's disgusting. Mm. I mean, that's my opinion. Yes, supposed to think she hasn't eaten in two days. Yeah, you'd have so... been thinking she was going. Uh, I'm starving. Give me the loaf. Mm. Mm. I mean, the fact she dips the bread into the milk—that is so disgusting. Oh. That's horrible. Yeah, it's so disgusting. And here's the famous line, a boy's best friend is his mother, voted number 56 by the AFI of the most famous movie quotes ever. And then we have that one. There's a piece of information I found. I actually <laughs> wonder how many Psycho fans have that tattooed uh, quote 
avoid befriending the mother. Mm, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Then. So Norman fights with him a mother about marrying him having dinner in her house. She says, no, you're having, what was it, having erotic fantasies of, what the hell, what she says to him and bans him from the house. Oh, I can't remember the direct quote. Mm. So they go back to his back office and note, Mother is voiced by Virginia Gregg. She voiced Mother up until her death in 1986. So that's cycle one, two and three. Ah, OK. So in the back office, Marianne uh, notes Norman's stuffed birds and says it's a quite unusual hobby. I'm thinking, is that an unusual hobby? I mean, taxidermy. Taxidermy in the city? No, that's... Surely that would have been... Yeah, I think of a cell shop, that was a big thing, so... Yeah, it would have been more common than, you know... Mm, mm. I mean, this is the whole Ed Gein stuff, where he would stuff his victims and such, or rather, not stuff, he would steal the skin off the victims and stitch up, like, lampshades and seats and yeah. cushion covers and etc, etc. I mean, the weird shit he done, I mean, it's, like, gross. Mm. Also... Uh, during their talk, Mary notices Norman isn't all there as he flies off the handle when she says he should put his mother someplace. Now, what I've got is if she felt uneasy, why the fuck did she not lock that room door and lock the fucking toilet door while she's in the shower? Put a fucking chair against the door for crying out loud, love. I mean, I'm sorry. Say- I live in a house with my mother and my sister who don't come near the bathroom when I'm in it. Mm. And the shower, and I still lock. I've got two doors to my bathroom, and I still lock both of them. Mm. Like you know, some place you don't know, you'd be locking and barricading the door. Yes, exactly, exactly. I mean, she doesn't even have the fucking the toilet door shut. She's like wide open. I'm like, what the fuck, I love? I mean, put a bloody shut door at least. Crying out loud. Exactly. So speaking of the shower, Norman spies on Marianne while she's getting undressed. This turns him on, so he runs for it. So, unlike in the remake, where he's masturbating, he just runs because he's turned on. So, are we meant to imagine, are we meant to believe that this is the first time in his life he's ever had a, I suppose she's meant to be a semi-attractive looking woman in a hotel that he caught in, he caught in the shower? No, no. I reckon he's just a the next in line because didn't the mother say at the end there's at least six to nine bodies in the swamp so he's ah. killed at least a half dozen people yeah good point so she's she's just the next one in line sort of thing ah. anyway this sparks off the mother and she kills her in the shower for her sins as you do you know why not uh oh i've got to mention well, I got a little mad sometimes was voted number seven, I think it was, in the all-time most famous horror quotes. Was it? Yeah, apparently so, yes. Oh. I'm doing research on this thing. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, if I had to do a tattoo, that would, I'd have, have on my arm. We would, we would go a little crazy sometimes, or mad sometimes. Ah, yeah, good point. You know? Um. Anyway, so back to the shower scene. That was shot over seven days, and Janet Lee never took a shower ever again. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Cold water. Cold water, yes. She had a crew of um, people watching her, and mm, she felt uneasy and unsafe, so she had baths for the rest of her life. Apparently she had a gun next to her bath. It's like, what the fuck? Wow. You know? mm, mm. 
yeah, like I said, she she found herself vulnerable in a shower, so she had had baths ever since, and she sort of hated that thing because it was cold water it was spread on her sort of thing. It's like, oh, Karen, because apart, yeah, poor woman, exactly, exactly. Apparently, Janet Lee was wearing stick-on moleskin fabric pieces over her boobs and her privates, um, and when the hot water hit it. They fell off and she refused to do the rest of the scene. So hence why a Vegas showgirl stunt double was hired to do the, the shower stuff. And Hitchcock used cold water to, to, out of sheer spite, I'm guessing. So, mm. Oh my goodness. So after mother kills Marion, Robert returns to clean up. Like all good little fucking boys <laughs> should do. And note, the stabbing sound is a knife going through a melon. Which Hitchcock then did offset. Yes, I read that. Mm. And the blood is black ink because Hitchcock thought it was too disturbing for using red and use black. Yeah, I, I read that as well, which is why there's also not a lot of it because he mm. wasn't quite sure if the 60s audience could have handled it all. Yeah, apparently people were screaming and running out of the cinemas in the 60s, so <laughs> there we have that one. Um. <laughs> uh, Hitchcock loved this piece of music so much, the stuff so much, he doubled Bernard Herman's feet to $40,000, unheard of at the time. Wow. So there we have that one. And also, Anthony Perkins is not the person killing Janet Lee. That is Paul Yasmin, because apparently he was a lot shorter and a lot more woman-like. So there we have that one. Ah, okay, yeah, because we're not meant to know the plot twist by that point. So yes, exactly. I, I, can, I can see why. Okay, that makes sense. Go have to do with the youth, him, and then you would have spotted right away. Mm, mm. Mm. And also in the book, Mary, or Marion, had mm. her head cut off, not stabbed to death. Pitchcock thought it was ridiculous because how could he cut somebody's head off with one slice? You know? And how could you cut someone's head off with a knife? Yeah, like exactly. That? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to have. Which brings me to my three rules of horror. Number one, no good horror film without salt. Uh, um, can't call it a horror film because it has a shiver scene. Number two, never trust children or old people. And number three, if it's too good to be true, get the fuck out of there. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So like I said, Norman, like a good mother's boy should, cleans up the motel room wraps a body in a shower curtain and then ditches her in her car and ditches the car in the swamp and returns back to the hotel. Now, one of my main things that I think is that swamp is right behind the motel. Shouldn't that have like, made the, the, the motel sh- um, sort of sink into the the water sort of thing? Yeah, and did that would cause the foundation hand mm. turn mm. Because yeah. you can see like, the, the foundation is all sand-like. So mm. I'm thinking, wouldn't that like sort of make it sink? But mm, there we have that one. Uh, so it's days later, a P.I. Abergast, played by Martin Blossom, is hot on Marion's trail. And note, he plays the same character in a fucking god-awful comedy called Silence of the Hams from 1992. And it is oh, no. so bad. <laughs> it's got Dom DeLuise and Billy Zane in it, and it's fucking terrible. Oh no! I mean, she's, I swear to God, it's the exact same character that plays the exact same death. There's even a bit where he goes, "I know this, but I've this happened to me before." I'm like, "Oh my no. god, it's so fucking bad." I mean, it's terrible. 
Uh, so he hunts down Sam, and in his store we meet Marion. Uh, sorry, we meet Lila, Marion's sister, played by Vera Miles. Uh, she's wearing a a dark wig because Hitchcock didn't want to have two blondes in the same movie. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, by the way, do some research on Hitchcock's things for blondes in his movies. He is a fucking fruit whoop. <laughs> I, I I know. Mm-hmm. Also, Miles had a love-hate relationship with Hitchcock. She was supposed to be his new um, atomic blonde, but she fell pregnant and he dumped her for Tippi Hedren, who had her own problems with Hitchcock. Check out the birds, etc., etc. Mm. Find out what the hell he did to her. And once she was, she had her her kit. He was giving her like bit part roles instead of leads. Uh, she hated him for that. So mm, there we have that wow. one. Wow. Because Hitchcock was all about control and all about things should be done his way. And if you die against his way, he would turn against you and have you blackballed in Hollywood. You know, blacklisted in Hollywood. Yeah, that's shocking, isn't it? I mean, Jesus. Anyway, moving the fuck right on. <clears throat> Back to the movie. Abergas thinks Loomis and Lila are in on it, but Lila tells him straight, she doesn't give a fuck what he thinks. She just wants her sister back. <laughs> I just love that line. <laughs> you know, she goes, I don't care what you think. Frankly, I don't care what, I, I don't care what you think. I want my sister back. And he's like, well, for what about checking? I can see you're telling the truth. <laughs> She's like, fuck you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, dear. <sighs> so cute. Shots of him checking all the motels and hotels in the area, and finally he meets the Bates Motel. He says there are only 12 hotels in the area. What the fuck? Yeah, I know. Yeah, it I mean, took him what felt like bloody forever to get there. It took like four days. I'm going, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> There's 12 hotels. How has it gone? I'm a PI. Can I check the register for blah, 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 blah? No? Okay then. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They must have been spread, spread out. Hmm. Hmm. And by the way, he doesn't have a warrant, so he can actually ask for stuff like that. So, moving on. Um, so he questions Norman, but he can see he's a terrible liar and sees someone upstairs window of the house. So he calls Lila to tell her what he has seen. He then checks out the house, only to be killed by um, mother on the staircase. Now, I love this this kill scene, by the way. Um, how he, he falls and stares back after the shock of being slashed across the face with the butcher's knife. I like that. I, I think that's a great effect to have. It had a complete contrast from mm-hmm. um, Marion's death. I like it. Yeah. Do you know how it did that? No. No. Basically, they, they put uh, the actor in a, a wooden uh, office chair and had him on a pulley system and they would pull up and down the staircase and he would just sit back and lie back. And wow. he's fallen down the stairs. So that's how I've done that one. So like I say, so he's finished off at the bottom of the staircase by mother by stabbing to death, as you do. <laughs> you know? Why not? So now, dead, Norman ditches his body and his car in the swamp. I've got to say, if he's got about 69 cars, how deep's that fucking swamp? How big is the swamp area? I was going to say, did they all arrive in car? By car? Mm. Because there's no way all those cars are in that swamp. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, in cycle two, in cycle two or three, you find out he can barely put two cars in, I mean, fucking nine or six. It's like, bloody hell. So, hours later, Lila calls the sheriff, Chambers, played by John McIntyre, to ask about Norman and his mother. And this is where Hitch, uh, 
Carpenter rather got the name from the nurse in Halloween, Nurse Chambers. Ah, okay. So that's another connection to, to Halloween. Anyway, uh, he tells him Mrs. Bates is long dead and Norman has lived alone for at least 10 years. Do, do, do. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah, yeah. That's a good thing, actually. Surely the hell the Undertaker realised the body is missing and they buried an empty coffin? Well, you would definitely be able to tell the minute you tried to lift it if it was full or empty. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do throw a line that he filled it with books, but sure how you tell the books rattle off the sides of a fucking coffin. Well, definitely. But, mm, there we have that one. So here, Lila and Sam decide to check out the hotel as a married couple. Sam deals with Norman as Lila checks out the house. Gotta say, she's fucking brave. She, she goes into that big empty house herself. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know? Um, and Sam questions Norman and Norman stutters away. Da, 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 da. How the hell did Norman overpower this Loomis guy? Loomis is built like a shipwreck house and Norman beats the skinny lanky thing. How does he overpower him? I think it's more a case of not overpowering them, but, you know, it almost becomes, like, the shock of someone so skinny to, like, do, like, going to attack you that kind of makes you, you free for a minute, and it's in that minute that he gets the upper hand. Okay, okay. I know in the movie he picks up, like, a tin and hits him over the head with a mm. tin. I'm going, would that work? Would that knock you out? I mean, is that tin? Anyway, so... Lila checks out the house and finds Mrs. Bates in the fruit cellar. And note, this was the seventh dummy news that Hitchcock made up because every single day Janet Lee went to get makeup done. The thing was sitting on her chair and I loved to scream, won it. So this is the one that gave her the loudest scare. Wow. Because apparently Hitchcock was a bit of a trickster on set, you know. I was going to say that's a bit cruel, is it not? Oh, yes, yes. Apparently he was quite mean to his, his actors and actresses, so... Mm. Like, for instance, in the bird, birds, Tippehedron is actually attacked and cut by real um, seagulls. Uh, she had her eye almost pecked out and she had her uh, ankle was pecked and such. These are real seagulls that are attached to her coats. <laughs> it's like, bloody hell. Yeah, I'd read that before. Um, some, uh, because didn't that mentally make her up for yes. almost life afterwards? She wasn't right then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It messed up horrendously. I, mean, I don't get why nobody sued Hitchcock. I mean, yes, I he's a he's a great director and such, but come on, there's a there's a line you don't cross. And I would kind of say, yeah, he's probably the most powerful man in Hollywood at that time. But you know, like you just said, the whole line you don't cross, and even the most powerful men in the world need to pay. Yeah, I mean, look at bloody uh, what's his name, uh, Harvey. What's his Epstein? face? Yeah, yeah, exactly. He was the most powerful man in Hollywood and he's now paying for it. He's in jail for rape and, and sexual, whatever the hell it was he got done for. Yeah. Um, so, show the fuck, somebody wants to say to Hitchcock, uh, no. You know, although apparently the only person who could tell Hitchcock no was his wife, Alma. You know. At uh, least one woman he respected then. Yeah, actually he more feared her because she was about a foot shorter than he was and she took none of his shit <laughs> <laughs> so there we have that one so like I say so she turns the body in the chair and she hears a scream it's not from her but it's Norman in a cheap wig and dress holding the world's largest butcher's knife 
you know, I mean, honest to God, the whole ah stuff for the swinging light. Oh, I know. Can I just say that scream? I know visually you look at it and it's laughable. It's that scream. I never know whether to jump or laugh. You just think, (laughs) what the hell are you doing? Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. So Sam knocks him out and home is now arrested. I mean, I'm going, this is your big ending. It's Norman Bates' address. I'm going, what the fuck? With that ridiculous contorting face he has as he gets caught with a wig falling off and a dress ripping open. I'm going... Yeah. It's a bit of a letdown, isn't it, for crying out loud? It's a bit of an anticlimax. That mm. From what came before to mm. that, you just think, come on, this is Hitchcock, you know? Mm. Yeah, exactly. Do something better. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I don't know, the, the settings felt a bit rushed to me. Yeah, exactly. It, it seems to... What was he thinking? Oh my god, this is going to be ultra scary, da, da, da. and it's a big sort of wet fart church sort of thing, you know? It, it, exactly, it, it would have been so much better if he just came in with a sound round his neck going, boo, it was me all along. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. It would have I made mean, more sense than, ah! You're like, mm. what the hell are you doing? Mm-hmm. Although I suppose that's why Hitchcock had all, all those signs up saying once the movie starts you're not be allowed to end and you can't tell everybody the ending sort of thing because he knew the ending was a bit you know it's a bit of a, a bit of a minute, wet squib you know exactly the minute anybody knew the ending they'd not go see it mm, indeed that's what I don't get is is why nobody sort of attacked the movie at the time saying this is just about shock and and scares and such and there's nothing to us it's just a, a popcorn fart you know again there's... what we were just saying though about Hitchcock and being the most powerful man well that's true some people um, at least have not scared by him intimidated to say anything bad against him mm. I suppose that's very true that's very true although in saying that Hitchcock's star had fallen a little bit hence why he didn't use his own TV crew because Paramount was sort of iffy on him so maybe his, his iron grip was sort of loosening. So, because mm. I I read that he used his own TV crew, um, yeah, for that reason, but also because he wanted that film to look almost cheapened in a way. Um, mm. so he just wanted it to look like a cheap exploitation movie. Um, so that's why he used his own TV crew rather than, you know, the the bigger more expensive feature film crew if you can call them that yeah um, got the the effect would be greenier mm, that's very true that's very true um so back to this very quick ending because there's only a few bits to go cover in the station a shrink tells them everything mother told them that Norman has killed at least six people and all their bodies and indeed their cars are in the swamp so by the way how did he kill his mother they don't actually say that at all. I mean, I know in the fourth one they say, like, as a boy, he poisoned her because she had another boyfriend. He was jealous, and that's why he poisoned her. But no, in, in this I, one, there's there's nothing. There's nothing. I I don't know. Um, I'm not even sure if I'm a hundred percent convinced he did kill his mother. Well, that's true. That's very true. Because um, I know in Cycle Three, in Cycle Three, another person claims to be his mother. And he kills her and stuffs her and 
sort of he does the killings in cycle three spoil for cycle three by the way <laughs> um, but i don't know this uh, there's a whole mystery about who norma who? bates is you know yeah yeah i think that's the mystery of the movie who mm. really is and what really why his mother died was it natural causes or was it him mm. because he does say that his mother was an elderly sick woman and uh, she's been in the, in the place up there sick for, for days on end or months on end. So did she die of old age or did he finally poison her? Had enough of her shit and poisoned her and realised, oh my yeah, God, did, I've nothing, you know? Yeah. yeah, did he help her on that, you know, journey to the afterlife when she wasn't well? Mm. I mean, does, does he realise that, that the mother had a mental illness and he's went, ah, oh, fuck, I have it too. So therefore, I'm going to persona, personify her as my jealous side sort of thing mm, that's an interesting thought i'd never thought of it that way because the shrink does say that every time norman feels afraid mother comes out and every time he feels jealous mother comes out and every time he feels possessive mother comes out and every time he's turned on mother comes out so he's a complete shell of a person then there's nothing to him at all then if he can't control his emotions mother takes over yeah Mm. I mean, so there we have that. So finally, to wrap this up, they cut to Marianne's car being taken out of the swamp as the camera shows Norman slash Norma, aka Mother, with a crazed grin on their face as it changes to a skeleton face as credits roll. Did you catch that, by the way? Yeah, I did. Mm. Mm. Apparently there was two cuts, one without it and one with it. So... There's that. So that was Psycho, Hitchcock's greatest movie on money-wise. Yes, I'm not sure about that one, actually. Even though this is black and white, after five minutes, you'd better take notes, this is black and white. Yeah, that's uh, one of the good things about this movie. The, like you see, you, you forget it's done in black and white mm-hmm. quite quickly, actually. Yeah, it's a tad slow. I feel it's a little padded in places, but it might just be me and my modern brain. I mean, the parts where Janet Lee's driving along the road, I'm going, cut, 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 because it's boring. You don't have to have her driving on, hearing all the things. I mean, you've seen it, as she says, it's filler because it would be too expensive to show all these people. Yeah. So that's why it was there. But there we have mm. that one. Not as shocking as it was 60 years ago, but this thing still packs a punch. So what do you see? Oh, definitely. I think the film's completely immortal in a way, and I like the fact that even now, 60 years later, it can still almost in a way play with our fear. I say I was loosely, because I know you're scared of practically nothing when it comes to horror movies. But <laughs> um, it, it certainly plays on our real-life fear of what if we all did impulsively commit a crime and then what would be the outcome of that? I mean, fight or flight, she to his flight in the movie, we spend about the next ever waiting for her to get to that motel and the action mm-hmm. to start. You know, so it's that feeling of being trapped, which I like throughout the movie. I think it's great. Um, so I do, and, you know, I, I know you just said that you don't like the filler gap through when she's driving along and there is nothing being said, but I think they're some of the best parts in the movie. They, they, um, they tell us so much more than which any writer could ever write down. I yeah. love this movie. A yeah. very, I've got a very noir quickie uh, feel about it, which is like a very, very 50s, 60s style of dark, dark humour um, movie. 
Um, I love this movie. I can't fault it, but again, it's not my favourite Hitchcock movie. There's just one or two little things in it that I would change. The sound of that knife for a star, I mean, mm. it's, it's great and it's effective, but it, it just grates on you. Um, but all in all, I can't actually fault this movie. Mm. Interesting to say about that thing, the, you don't actually see the knife get into the flesh. There's nine or ten cuts, but you never actually see the knife yeah, get into she, the flesh. It's all in your mind, sort of thing. Yeah, it's almost what's more scary, or, you know, your imagination or what you physically look at, which yes. I, I think is I think great. And it just shows you the how many people at that, how well he knew, Hitchcock knew his target audience, because let's mm-hmm. face it, there's nothing more scarier than your own imagination. And if you can see someone's hand going down like that, you know, with a knife in their hand, you know instantly what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. I mean, you, you did say that she walked into her own trap. Mm. Well, that's exactly what, what that Norman Bates says. We're all in our own little personal traps. We can claw and scratch, but we're doing nothing but scratching at the air. We're trapped in our own little cages. And that's the genius of this movie. It actually makes you think, what am I stuck? Am I in, in, a, in a rut sort of thing? Am I in a ditch? Yeah. How yeah. did I get it makes you think, like, what's my own personal trap? And yes, yes. Yeah, definitely. It's it, it got that great way of making you step back and almost in a way reevaluating your own life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Uh, well, I said, this was a genius of Hitchcock, I'm guessing. Or is that in a book, you know? Yeah, I mean, 60 years later and we're still looking at it going, hold on a minute, he got a point, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So let's score the sucker then. One being utter dog shit and five being great. I'm going to give this thing a four. Like I said, there's bits and pieces that are sort of nagging at me. So what would you give it? Yeah, i give it four as well. Again, one or two things um, that that make it just a, a tad overbearing. But all in all, you know. Mm, mm. I mean, I know people have a hard time watching black and white movies because this generation doesn't do, we don't do nothing but colour. Give this thing a watch, you know? Well, I mean, Some of my favourite mm. thriller movies of all time are in black and white, so mm. I prefer black and white. Mm. Now, they do say that this is the start of the modern slasher movie, but I would say it's not. I would say it's Peeping Tom released the same year uh, because that has the whole killer point of view stuff. But as Halloween is the first modern slasher and Halloween took the names from this, I would say this is the grandmother of all slashers. Yeah, so. you've definitely got a point there, yeah. Mm. Anyway, thank you for listening. Don't forget to like, share, comment and subscribe and leave a five-star review wherever you heard this thing. Follow us on Twitter at 2GeeksPod and Instagram at 2GeeksTalkMovies. Follow us on Facebook at 2 Geek. Two geeks, rather, talk movies. You can follow me on Twitter at Here's Johnny's Pod and follow Joanne at Two Geeks Joanne. <laughs> Our next podcast will be what, what happens to Baby Jane. What do you think for that one? Whatever mm. happened to Baby Jane, even? <laughs> 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 Which is your pick? It is. I love this movie. I oh, think yes. by the thriller go, the history. Tell mm-hmm. you, one of my favourite black and white movies. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. The notorious um, infighting between 
Bit Davis and oh fuck, I've got her name the other one. <laughs> oh god, um, um, oh god, I just said that's one of my favourite movies. I can't remember the the lead actress's name. Yeah, but I know who you mean. They totally hated each other in real life. Yeah, my mind's went completely blank on her name, isn't it? Oh god, I don't. My mind does that. It's like people are screaming. It's such and such a person. You bloody idiot! You know. <laughs> It's not that. The minute we, the minute we stop recording, we're gonna go. It's ah uh, right. Yeah. I'm, John I'm, Crawford. I'm gonna, well done, Hercules. I'm gonna have to quickly Google it and put it out for misery. <laughs> yeah, just hold it. Just John Crawford. Yeah, the notorious infidel between Crawford and Davis is just delicious. The stories behind them are just. Mm, I can't wait to discuss this movie. Oh, which I think is what makes this movie so great, because you can tell that you. They'll look at each other like, I fucking hate you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, <laughs> yes. Also, due to public demand, our Halloween special is Tales of Halloween, Ooh. which will be out on, I think, Halloween itself, actually, or close to Halloween. Mm. Anyway, goodbye. Now I'm off for a shower. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs>